Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So the Women's Football Podcast is back. We've been away for a week or two, but don't worry. Like I say, we are back and I am joined this week by our own Alejandro Diago. How are things? How are you doing, Angelina? Everything good? Yes, all good with me. And we have got her football hubs, Aaron Hindhoff, back with us. How's things, Aaron? Ah, uh, yeah, really good. Thanks for having us back on. No worries. Right, well, let's just get straight into it. Because, um, like I say, we've missed a week or two of football. So I thought we'd delve into the Women's Super League and some of the other leagues and, you know, catch up on what's been happening. Um, and, yeah, for Arsenal, they are still sitting at the top of the table. They did have to take a draw against their London rivals, Tottenham. Um, But, you know, a a pretty big result for Tottenham. You know, back in 2017, I think it was, Arsenal managed to put 10 past Spurs in the FA Cup. And since then, it's just been a bit of a nightmare for Spurs, basically. They've conceded 32 goals, scoring just four. So, Aaron, how important was this win for Tottenham? And do you think it shows, you know, maybe just how far this team has come? Yeah, I, I think it was amazing for Tottenham, really. Like, obviously, the, I think last time I was on, we were talking about how they started so well. Mm. We didn't really think that they'd keep it up, but I think they're, they're proving everyone wrong that they're definitely, they're definitely going to be able to challenge. Obviously, not right at the top, but uh, they're going to give a lot of teams a good game this season. I think what Rianne Skin has done this season is just absolutely stunning. Like, how she's got that group of players playing is, is amazing. I think. I think they're the third best for expected goals allowed and the fifth best for expected goals scored. So it's it's not like they're getting lucky or anything. They're putting the work in on the training pitch and it's it's translating uh, onto the pitch on a Sunday. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's one of those situations like what more can you ask for, really? You know, I think fans wanted to see improvements after last season and and they're delivering. And like you say, it's not just a bit of luck. It seems to be consistent and something that's going to stick. And and yeah, it's it's great to see, definitely. Um, I mean, Alejandro, they did obviously go on to lose 1-0 to West Ham last weekend, but, you know, it's, it's fine. Things like that happen. But do you think that maybe we should be talking about Spurs when it comes to that third spot to get European football? Especially when you consider at the moment, you know, the other teams that would be in the mix, Manchester United, Manchester City not doing so well. So are we crazy to consider that Spurs, if they can continue, they could be in contention for this spot? Uh, for sure, really. Even to be fighting for this European spot for Tottenham Hotspur can be a wonderful achievement this season. Think that uh, the Spurs came from a, from a season that it was uh, like, a, like a royal coaster with up and, ups and downs continuously. Example, signing of very important players that they leave in the case of Alex Morgan, and this season they are they are being more stable, and we are seeing what they are cap- capable for. They achieve a, a wonderful result against Arsenal in the London Derby, and even though they lost against West Ham, okay, West Ham is one of these teams that can be on this on the fight uh, to make big things on the season and can challenge these uh, big guns that they are candidates to win the title. So uh, the, the, the thing is that Tottenham Hotspur can can make a good a good. Uh, a good season and they can be on the fight for to get the European spot and fight for the Champions League next season. Yeah, I feel like why not really? Um, it's, you know, stranger things have happened in football as we've seen, you know. Um, I don't think anybody could have guessed, you know, what's been going on with Man City that we'll talk about in a second. And yeah, why not Tottenham, you know, dream? And like I say, the competition is so wide open at the moment. You, you couldn't call it um, because so much could still happen. There's still so much of the season to be played. So, yeah, good good for Tottenham. But like I say, I touched on Manchester City. They were hit hard with that 4-0 defeat to Chelsea. Now, we have seen kind of similar scorelines in recent games. You know, the FA Cup back in January, the league last October, etc. Um, you know, where Chelsea have maybe hit them a little bit hard. But I think maybe with... The current form and the situation, I feel like maybe it hurts a little bit more. But Aaron, what did you make of that result? Um, I thought it was not surprising, really, the way mm. Man City have been played. And I think uh, what they showed against Chelsea was what everyone's been seeing, seeing really. And it's just not good enough, really. So it wasn't surprising, but still damning for Man City fans, the players and, and Gareth Taylor. And 
Hengen's seen a lot of his post-match interviews now. He's, I'm not saying fed up, but he's getting sick of saying the same things and answering the same questions because at the end of the day, his tactics and players just aren't performing really. But it's a lot of injuries they've got at the minute. It's a lot of individual errors. I think when, uh, um, when uh, Jill Scott gave the ball away for one of the goals, it's like, what can you do about that as a manager really? But I think as well, it just shows the gap uh, between Man City and Chelsea. You look at Chelsea's strength and depth, like Lauren James can hardly get a sniff in at the minute. I know she's played quite recently, but then you look at Man City, the players that are coming in to replace players like uh, Lucy Bronze, Ellie Roebuck, Steph Horton have just not been able to hit the heights required, really. So, yeah, the result wasn't surprising, but every week I keep thinking they're going to turn it around. But I think now it gets to a point where you just got to accept until they get players back fit, it's not going to be a great season. That's it, isn't it? And I mean, Gareth Taylor has said that he believes this Man City team could still be playing Champions League football next season, despite two wins from seven league games. Um, which I guess with my philosophy of anything could happen, maybe. But at the same time, there's going to have to be a few slip-ups from some teams that are playing very well in order for them to... It's, City could continue and win games, but they're that far behind now. I kind of feel like they are going to have to keep the fingers crossed that other teams do slip up. You know, they did turn things around with that 5-0 win over Aston Villa that I'm sure, you know, fans would have been happy to have seen. Alejandro, looking at, you know, the players that they have and what we know this Manchester City team are capable of, obviously your team, Real Madrid, beat them to get that spot in the Champions League as well. What are your thoughts on his comments that he still believes that they could get that uh, Champions League spot for next season? I think Gareth Taylor is having something in common this season with the coach of Real Madrid, David Aznar. They both have wonderful rosters. We don't deny that. Uh, maybe uh, Man City is more technical, more more physical, and Real Madrid is more technical and more of creativity of play. But the thing is that neither Gareth Taylor nor David Aznar, they are both the right coaches to take Man City and Real Madrid to fight for Champions League and ha ha having them playing Champions League this season. Uh, we are seeing that Manchester City, in the case of we we uh, we are talking now about. They, they have a problem of, of competitiveness and fighting when it comes to the, the D-Day and the moment uh, that uh, when, when you play for everything. We see it in the beginning of the season against Real Madrid that the players of Real Madrid overwhelmed Man City. We saw it during, the, during this season, also in the FA Cup and in the, in the Continental Cup. And uh, we have seen in the league that Man City is not as good as it was last year. And it's a problem of that they don't know how to face the important games, and it's a problem that it's uh, it's it's something that the, the, the coach should work on it and should fix, and it's something that uh, uh, Gareth Taylor is not doing. Well, yeah, because it's like you know, how long can you use the excuse of injured players? I get it's a valid excuse, one hundred percent, no denying that. But if you know that you've clearly got these players out for a period of time. Do you argue that sure, maybe, sure. you know, if you're a good manager, you should be able to adapt your team? Looking at those players, you should surely be able to adapt that team to at least be getting a little bit more from these games just because a few players are out. Do you know what I mean? For sure, really. You are investing a lot of money in a team that can, that can fight for titles, that it's a candidate to be on the top three at least. And you cannot give an image like, like Man City is giving on the last game, for example. Mm. You cannot give an image that at a team that is discomposed when they when they get the first goal again when they get the first goal against them and they don't know how to react. Come on, uh, Man, Man City uh, is is a chest, and maybe I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry because you I know that you are that your team is is on the opposite side of the city, Angelina. <laughs> but Man City is a team that. Must fight for titles every yeah. season, and it's and it's and it's a thing that every season they, they they should say, okay, we are Man City, we know that the shirt we are the, we are defending, and we need to fight for everything, and we and we cannot give an image when it comes an important game of, oh my oh my God, I don't know how to face. They scored me the first goal. I don't know what plan should I f follow. Yeah, because in that case, 
there is the, the team doesn't know how to react and the team loses confidence. Exactly. And that's another thing that, you know, how long this I, goes I, on for. I will, talk, I will talk later about Real Madrid because it's, uh, uh, to be honest, it's something that's happening also to Real Madrid too. <laughs> but I will, I will leave it for later. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Real Madrid. You can give us some insights. But I, I agree with what you're saying with Manchester City. It's um, it, You do wonder how is this affecting the players, you know, the players' confidence, because this has been going on, you know, for a bit of a while now. I mean, Aaron, you kind of touched on it um, when you were just talking about um, City, but do you think that the win against Aston Villa could be a turning point or have we had so many different situations now where we think, oh, is this the turning point and it doesn't seem to actually turn? Yeah, I think that's it. I don't I don't think it's going to actually turn. I think, like I said, when until you get players like Steph Horton and Ellie Roebuck back, I think especially, I think they're the two players that have missed the most. Um, until you get those two back, I really can't see Man City laying a finger on a on the on Chelsea or anyone like at Spurs even. Mm. At the minute, obviously Spurs earlier in the season. Uh, I, I really can only see this form continuing until the one either probably get rid of Gareth Taylor. It seems the players are not completely on his side now, um, or to somehow get some injured players back and from what you see and what you read it doesn't seem like many of those players are, are close to even being back in training really never mind being match fit and match ready so I think it's going to be a long season for Man City and probably one they've got to take more lessons from than positives from and say right why did this happen and how can we ensure it doesn't happen again and I think something that's got to happen is they've got to improve their squad depth, really, because when their 11's fit, they've got an absolutely superb starting 11, mm. but there's been too many errors from players that have come in from the fr- uh, on the fringes um, that have cost them games and goals that could have changed their season, but now it's, it's like when one goal goes in, you see their head drop down and no one really wants the ball, apart from, I think, Lauren Hemp's the only exception this season who just as willing to take on anyone at any time in the game. So I think that's the only bright spark City fans can take, really. Yeah, I I agree 100%. And, um, you know, not not to be biased as a Man United fan, because I will talk about my side, because, you know, they've had their fair share of absolute nightmares. You know, defensive errors. I can't even get started on the defensive errors, you know, that basically cost them in the draw against Everton. Things were going so well. And then there's a mistake. You know, the following week, they suffered a 2-0 loss to Arsenal, which I think, again, you know, similar to City um, losing to Chelsea and similar to Man United losing horrendously to Chelsea. You know, these kind of results, unfortunately, um, is, you know, probably a bit of a humbling experience. I think Man United are pretty humbled already, but, you know, across the board. But I feel like it, you know, kind of shows that they're not on this level and it's just something that they've got to accept. But... You know, the manager has come out and said that the team needs reinforcements. Alejandro, do you think that the back line for Manchester United is the Achilles heel, is the problem? Or do you look at that team and think there are maybe some issues elsewhere also? Uh, focusing on one point of Manchester United uh, er- uh, errors, is, is it will be unfair. Because, for example, the, the back line is, of course, maybe... Maybe they they will need some reinforcements, and maybe they will need maybe a player with more experience and with with all the, with more tradition in in football, so they can so he can improve to the rest of of the teammates. But also on the other side, we are seeing that Man City, Man, Man United, sorry, maybe they are not performing as we were expecting this season. Because for example, we are uh, we were expecting a lot. For example, Jackie Grönen. And maybe even though he's he's doing quite well and he's shining very good, he he's not uh, shining as as he as she does with the Dutch national team. So it's a bit a bit hard to see for Man United fans. I don't know if you and Jelena agree with me on that side, but really, to be honest, I wouldn't focus on 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 the on the on the on the on the back line. But I would say that uh, that maybe some reinforcements in the winter in the winter transfer window they would be welcome for. Or Red Devils. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, obviously, defensively, things haven't been great. But I think, you know, as as a as a team in general, there's a lot of work to be done across the pitch, I feel. And I think it will be interesting to see, you know, um, the new faces that come in. And I think also, you know, 
maybe I'm being a little bit too kind, but, you know, this is not the manager's team because, you know, he came in very, very late, let's be honest. Um, And whether you can criticise Manchester United's, you know, recruitment process for not getting a manager in quicker, um, you know, I I could sit here all day and talk about those things. But, you know, um, it, it might take the manager, you know, a minute to find his feet and to figure out exactly how we can get the best out of this team. And I think fans are, you know... Maybe just going to have to be a little bit patient. But Aaron, do you feel like maybe this transfer window and giving the manager the opportunity to get some players in, you know, this could really help the side because not only obviously bringing in new players is good, um, but like what I've touched on, it gives him the opportunity to try and put his stamp a little bit more on this team. Yeah, I think that's the key thing, handing them, uh, putting your trust in a new manager to mould the team the way that you want. Because if they get through this transfer window and there haven't been many key additions, and that might signal to the players that, oh, well, if he's not being given transfer funds, is he actually going to be here for the long term? And mm. then will he will and like will it be so keen to impress them if they don't think he's going to be sticking around for very long? But yeah, I think additions are, are, are definitely important for Man United um, for the second half of the season, especially because they've been able to see where the key areas are they need to improve, what's been letting them down. So if they can go out and target them immediately and get them gelled into the squad, you know, another could make a late push in the second half of this of this season. Um, but I think when you mentioned uh, the defensive problems, there, I think when, when Millie Turner's back fit and 100% ready, I think that will make a huge difference. Because I think her experience and the way people look at her and look up to her as a, a good player, good ball-playing defender, I think that'll breathe confidence to the rest of the back line as well. Yeah, that's a, a really good point to to make as well. That I think I, I agree once she returns it could it should, you know, make um uh, make a good impact. And it'll be interesting because as I've said a million times, it does seem like this competition is wide open when it comes to, you know, that third spot. Um and maybe I can dream and think that we can push for it. I'm not gonna get myself too excited because Manchester United in general, has been testing my patience the last few weeks, so I, I can't, I can't get too invested in it. I just hope, let's hope for things to, you know, just be heading in the right direction. That's all I need. But I mean, one team that is not just heading in the right direction, they're flying in the right direction as usual, is Chelsea. Um, and a bit of news uh, is that Sam Kerr has signed a new two-year deal. With the Blues, um, I know this has already been reported, but I thought we'd just uh, touch on it. Um, I'm sure Chelsea fans are celebrating all over the world. Alejandro, this is an important item for Chelsea to, you know, tick off the to-do list. They've done this now, before the January window, before the summer, you know, cancel out any rumours, get the job done. This is what we like to see, isn't it? For sure, really. I was wishing that maybe in the in the in the in the in the, in the next in next transfer window, Sam Kerr can make a move and say, "Okay, maybe I'm going back to Spain and leave one yes. team that is wearing a white shirt." <laughs> I know that that but, has been your dream for a I while. I understand that, that Chelsea is, is 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 investing a lot in this in the program of women's football. Is they are they want to have a European title as, and they are coping the same steps as, as they did on the as. As on the men's on the men's squad, and I think that the extension of the contract for Sanker is the best news for Chelsea, and we will see that after that uh, Chelsea will become maybe one of the uh, maybe uh, uh, if, 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 if it's if it's not right now, he will be one of the top. Coach. Uh, he will be one of the top contenders to win the Champions League this season. Yeah, exactly. I agree, and um, and I I like the I really do like the efficiency of it. I like when clubs are efficient like that because, you know, as we know, transfer rumors, you know, there's so many, so many different discussions and theories and things, and I think to kind of cancel that out is a a very good move from Chelsea. But meanwhile, one other Women's Super League team I thought we could just touch on is Birmingham. They've got rid of their manager, Scott Booth, amid some reports of complaints around facilities and standards. Unfortunately, this is not the first time that we have heard these kind of complaints about a Women's Super League team. Um, They've brought in Darren Carter as the interim head coach. They suffered some bad losses recently. Aaron, what are your thoughts on the situation? I think it's just a mess, really. But I think that just sums up 
Birmingham over the last couple of years. You, you saw Carla Ward and all the players publicly talking about it last year. I think she even left Birmingham to go to a, a, a bit of rivals. I think that shows how bad it is, but I really don't know why they've sacked uh, Booth, to be honest. Obviously, I had some bad results, but when you look at the, the teams that are playing and the budget that Birmingham are on, like, what do they expect them to do? He, he can only work with what he's got. He's essentially working with one hand tied behind his back. Mm. I don't get who they think they're going to get that's going to be better than him and what they're going to get out of those players because I think it is a worry for Birmingham and I think they might only be saved by Leicester being worse than them. Uh, yes. No, no hardship on Leicester. They're, they've been really unlucky in games, especially against Brighton. Like That free kick, it, it's, it's ridiculous how that's went in and then they've lost Lavelle as well for... A good couple of months, so that could be the only thing that saves Birmingham. Because I think if they went down to the championship, it, it could be a, a big problem for them because they don't strike as is someone like Liverpool who can quickly turn it round and start throwing money at it. They could be in there for a while, or even even worse, go go lower than the championship. But yeah, I, I think it's just a mess at, at Birmingham. We've seen the players talk about the the facilities or the lack of and the lack of respect they seemingly get from the owners and the club. So. I don't know what to expect from Birmingham anymore, but I did expect at least them to give uh, Booth longer than what he did. Yeah, I was um, quite surprised as well. And it's like you say, when things are are going so badly and the finger is not just pointed at the manager, you know, there are other things going on behind the scenes and things. It's like, to get rid of a manager, you've not really given them enough time, enough a chance perhaps. It's... Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a shame and, you know, here's hoping that somehow, you know, something can be turned around, you know, regarding the facilities and standards and all of this stuff, you know, we need to see improvement. Um, and unfortunately, like you say, if if Leicester managed to pick things up a little bit, which again, you know, is a bit of a stretch looking at things at the moment, but like you say, they've been unlucky, you know, maybe we could see them dropping down. Um and maybe oh, I don't even know. It's 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 sad. It's sad, you know, a team like Birmingham, um, the history that they've got. It's sad times, but fingers crossed, something um, positive will be coming their way um, at some point. But yeah, that's the women's Super League chat. Um, ended it a bit depressing there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we'll head over to France now um, because there was a very big game recently between Lyon and PSG that's ended in a very big fat Leon victory. Alejandro, this was an intentional demolition, a thrashing from Leon, do you feel? They wanted to prove that they are still the best French team, do you think? Definitely, really. Leon, after the last season, when, when they had this uh, disappointment of not qualifying for the semi-final of the Champions League, uh, uh, they they wanted to say, okay, we are Olympic Lyonnais, we are the, the team that has won the Women's Champions League seven times, and we want to show the to show Europe that we are back on track. And what what a best what a best chance to show it than in a French Clasico with PSG, and so and showing them, hey, we are back on track. We are going to fight for everything. We are now on a position that we can be the best team in France and. Europe, here we come, and Barca have an eye on us. <laughs> exactly. I think I completely agree. It's uh, definitely sent a message. Um, I think that Leon were hit very, very hard by last season. Understandably, you know, when you're so used to winning everything and then suddenly it's all taken from you. Yeah. Um, they were they came back with vengeance and you know what? Good for them. They got the job done they annihilated them. And Aaron, it tends to be these games between Leon and PSG that basically decide who wins the title. Um, do you think it will be Leon this year? Do you think it's a bit too early to tell? Or do you feel like that game kind of showed us? Um, I don't think that game necessarily showed people, but I, I do think it is Leon's now. I think uh, you could see from the outset that when they signed three of PSG's players from last season when yeah. PSG won the league, <laughs> I think that says a lot about how angry they were at their feelings in Europe and domestically last season because they are the the top team in France and have and have been. So to take three players away from the team that's just won the league says a lot about them and the calibre of club they are. So 
I think everything everything off the pitch with PSG at the minute is is going to hold them and hinder them for at least a couple of weeks. I would say maybe a bit longer, depending on how long it drags on for. But I think Leon have just got way too much. Um, yeah, they're just a stunning team, really. Yeah, of course, and um, we won't delve into it on the podcast, but we all know the things that have been happening off the pitch with PSG. Um, you know, maybe maybe it, it played a role because, let's face it, the, the world are talking about it at the moment. Um, but, yeah, you can't take anything away from Leon. They were absolutely brilliant. And, of course, um, Ada Hegberg managed to get two goals. Alejandro, her return is really important for Leon, isn't it? Not just for the goals, but just, I think, her presence in the team. It's important for all who love women's football, really. <laughs> it's a player that he's, she's the the flagship of this sport. And really, she has suffered a lot with almost two years injured, almost uh, with many, many ups and downs, many disappointments, thinking that, OK, I'm ready to play, but not. I need to wait some time more to recover. So that finally, watching her playing and watching her scoring and two goals in an important game, really, is the best news and is the... And, we can we can we cannot say it and we we can say anything that that it's wonderful to have you back Ada on track so let's enjoy of her yeah and it's not only that she's back playing like you say she's back scoring goals um and yeah any like you say for any women's football fan it's just great to see especially when you see someone have an injury like you say and go through so much to see them back and playing well you know that that's what you want um and you know finally you know just touch on PSG again. Aaron, do you think that had Ashley Lawrence not been sent off so early on, it maybe could have been different? Or do you feel like it wasn't really, it didn't really matter? Uh, I think it mattered in a sense that the scoreline might not have been as as big, but mm. I think that was that was Leon's game to win all day. Because to be fair, Ashley Lawrence is a huge player for, for PSG, but I think Leon would just absolutely dominant uh, throughout. If PSG had 10, 11 or even 12 people on the pitch, I still think Leon probably would have walked away with that victory. But yeah, I don't think it made that much of a difference. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree. But um, yeah, big congratulations to Leon. Um, and good. you know what? I, I love a bit of a, not necessarily a comeback story because it's not like they've been terrible, but I I love a petty, uh, a big petty victory. I am here for it 100%. Um, looking at Bordeaux now, um, and they're normally, you know, floating around below um, PSG and, and Leon. Uh, you know, they've had a few defeats that leave them in act- actually sixth currently. Alejandro, do you think that they are maybe missing their goal scorer, Khadija Shaw, now that she's over at Manchester City? Probably, really. This season for uh, Girondins Bordeaux, it was going to be a transition season, a rebuild season, and they are missing this, the the woman who who took that to the Champions League uh, qualifying rounds. Mm. It's uh, okay now. They are paying they, that they are Timberi Jamberi. And with with many unexperienced players that they need to get get tradition and get experience on the league, on the division on. But uh, we, if, if we if we give them some time, maybe Girondins Bordeaux will will do important things. But now uh, nowadays they, they they are missing so much Cadillo. Uh, so yeah. I I agree. They're definitely. I mean, you're going to miss a player like her. It's you know we, without a doubt, really, isn't it? Now they did manage to get that win over Paris FC, who are the team at the moment that are trying to you know trying their best to keep up with Leon and PSG. Um, whether they'll be able to maintain it, I'm not too sure. But do you think that win over Paris FC, Aaron, um, shows that there's still you know life in Bordeaux and that they could still be in the mix for this Champions League spot? Um, yeah, so I think the thing with Bordeaux is that, like you said, they're always lingering around those spots at the, at the right end of the table. But I think this season is just consistency, which has been their Achilles heel, really. I think they've not been able to win more than two games in a row this season. And I think they could, they could still... I think they will turn it around, to be fair, because it's not like they're playing bad, but... They're just struggling to to keep that run of form going. And that you never know. You you see teams come up 
um, and surpass expectations. So we could see someone leapfrog Bordeaux this season, but I, I think they'll they'll be fine come the end of the season if they can just sort out the consistency because that is just the main problem for them. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll be all right in the end. I think they'll still be that team that you know just floats around in that third spot hoping one day maybe PSG or Leon might slip up um, but yeah now also you know since the podcast had a had to take a second um there has been some Champions League football so I thought that we could take a look at how some of the top teams in Europe have been doing um Chelsea, business as usual three points clear at the top of Group A after those two wins over Servette Alejandro, was there ever any doubt that Chelsea would not top this group? I think at the beginning, they had a slight wobble, you know, with Juventus, but were we ever really that worried? Uh, not really. Uh, Chelsea, we know that it's one of the teams that they can they can get win the Champions League this season, and in the group stage, they are doing what they, we were expecting about, about them. That they, were going, that they were going to destroy all the rivals as much as they can. They were, they were going to push the rivals to the limit and if they were able to score many goals, they will they will score many goals. So for me it's not a surprise that Chelsea is uh, leading this group. Yeah, I, I agree. I always thought that they um they were they were gonna be on top and we also saw in the Champions League, Lauren James made her debut for the side. I'm not bitter, I promise. Um Aaron, it's been a long time coming. Are you looking forward to seeing what she brings to the table if she manages to get enough game time? Hundred <laughs> percent. I think she's such a unbelievable footballer. Like I feel like she could just literally play in any position, like across the pitch, and just thrive. Like she's just so talented on the ball. Her runs off the ball are amazing. Her power, her power behind her shots are ridiculous as well. So if she can get into that team, I mean. Don't know where she fits to be. To be fair, but um, yeah, if she can get into that team or when she gets into that team, I think Chelsea are just going to become that even little bit more scary, which is quite terrifying when you think about it. Yeah, because like they're already quite scary <laughs> to me. So yeah, with her as well. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous. Um, now you know for Wolfsburg, I had high hopes. They've got such a history in this competition. But, Alejandro, do you feel like the 2-0 loss to Juventus, it's the nail in the coffin for their time in Europe at the moment? Yeah, of course, I think that uh, that Juventus maybe is going one step further. Maybe we didn't see it against Chelsea because fighting against Chelsea means going to another top level. Yeah. But uh, for Wolfsburg, really, even, even though for, we, we need to be thankful for what Wolfsburg has given to women's football in the last decade, uh, what this wonderful team that has won Champions League, has been champion in Germany, has won the Pokal, has won everything we were thinking of. I think that the, uh, there is a new order in the women, in women's football and Wolfsburg is going to be on the second step, sadly. Yeah, we've spoken about it um, even going back quite a few months ago, you know, talking about Wolfsburg and you know, are they going to have to maybe take a little bit, bit of a backseat? I know in the Bundesliga they're, they're doing okay in, you know, um, keeping keeping up with Bayern. Um, but maybe in Europe it is just one of those situations where they're not going to be, you know, in the mix at the moment. But, you know, talking about Juventus, Aaron, what do you make of them? Because I think they've done a good job of redeeming themselves from last year's, you know, lack of European football, do you feel? Yeah, I think they're actually going quietly under the radar, actually. Mm. Uh, I think the work that um, Joe's done this season is, is is really smart and really good, especially when there was a lot of people complaining um, about him during the end of his time at uh, Arsenal, about how the play was very predictable and easy to play against, and he, he didn't really change it up. But I think in Europe, they're, they're definitely redeeming themselves now. And then, obviously, domestically, there's... There's no complaints. I think nine games, nine wins, conceded two goals, scored twenty-two. Uh, but yeah, I think they are they are slightly going under the radar this season. I think. Yeah, they could be. Uh, you know, maybe the the dark horses of the competition, depending. You know what the draw is like in uh, in the next round. 
But we shall head to group B now. And Alejandro, I'm, you know, handing you the virtual mic because for Real Madrid, they had to deal. (laughs) They had two defeats against PSG. But they're still second in the group. So my questions to you are, what did you make of the performances? And we talked before the game's taking place about what this could mean, depending how they do with PSG. And do we feel like this shows Real Madrid that maybe they're not in a position to be challenging the best clubs in Europe? Or is it too early to say? Because in the Champions League, as we've seen before, you know, teams can surprise you. But yeah, you just let us know your thoughts on the situation. Okay, let's let's take a deep breath and a yes. start because I, <laughs> uh, this is going to take us some time about it's the okay. performances. <laughs> Shall we start by the game in Paris? Uh, the game where Real Madrid, uh, really, I still try to understand why Real Madrid didn't fight for the game in Paris because um, it's I, I I still don't understand, to be honest. Really, uh, the, the, the way David Aznar uh, showed the game, uh, tried to handle the game in Paris. He reminded me to the one Rafa Benitez did in a Clásico against Barcelona in Bernabeu when where Real Madrid lost for nil. <laughs> okay, mm, I'm with you. Really, I really uh, I think that after that game, mm, the era of David Aznar is over in Real Madrid, and it's uh, the, watching the players crying in the pits. Is, uh, of uh, crying of uh, that they were able to fight them really it broke my heart to be honest yeah. it broke everything of everything of me I, I couldn't stand really uh, you uh, you are Real Madrid and you are defending the most important t-shirt in football and you cannot go to a, a states like Parc de, Parc de Prince in Paris and focus a game on the way the coach did it on the on the game in on the game two weeks ago in Paris about the game in Madrid. Well, it was it was it was a bit different, and we saw some improvement. But the thing is that the game the game in Madrid showed us the, the uh, something closer to reality that Real Madrid is still one step uh, one step back of all the top teams in Europe. Mm. Uh, they are one step back because maybe even if they have a very Good team uh, done with uh, talented Spanish uh, players and some international stars uh, such as Babet uh, Peter or Talon Moller. Maybe we need this extra star, this uh, this franchise player that can change the way Real Madrid fights uh, for the titles and for important things in Europe. But I will not say anything. Be- I will not say anything about. If this, if if they, they cannot compete in the in the knockout stages of of the Champions League, because uh, the history of Real Madrid has shown us many times that even though they have very they have teams that they should be the underdogs or they are not as good as other teams or or in a different or in a different state of shape. I don't know what has the Champions League for Real Madrid that plans. Change the the club completely, so I think Real Madrid they will they will not have pro- problem to advance to the quarterfinals because really uh, I see Breda, Blick and Kharkiv they are uh, on uh, on the on uh, uh, they are they are uh, um, they are less than Madrid in uh, in terms of favorites, but in the quarterfinals let's see what the draw could depair. And let's see what what the draw can give to Real Madrid, and if it gives a rival that can open a small chance to the surprise, that everything can happen. I only just say that. <laughs> yeah, but you you know you make a good point. We've seen in games before um, in European football that anything can happen, um, and I I agree. I wouldn't want to completely write Real Madrid off. Um, I think, yeah, like it says, it, it like you said, it, it proves that, you know, Real Madrid are, are probably not going to be lifting the trophy just yet. Um, but like you say, you know, the second game showed a little bit of improvement. Um, you know, looking at them in the league, they're still in 10th position. 
do you see the manager remaining for the entire season or do you think that there will be a change? I think that uh, they, so he will remain for the rest of the season. But I, I think that uh, if there is a huge catastrophe in terms of a league fight or, or even another huge defeat, uh, I think that um, the Real, Real Madrid should take a decision and try to try to make a movement because really um, after after the four nil in Paris, the fans of Real Madrid they are angry. Yeah. They are they they exploded in social media. The 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 the, the hashtag Aznar out was trending topic in Spain during the night the night of uh, the four nil. So the thing is that. Um, yeah, uh, a, ch- a change is going to come in the bench of Real Madrid. I don't know when, but a change is going to come sooner or later. Yeah, I understand. I I agree with you in on that one. Um, and and you can understand why why fans are why fans are frustrated, but um, fans that are not frustrated are of course Barcelona fans <laughs> because in Group C, it is business as usual as it seems to be for Arsenal. Both teams seem to be ticking along nicely. I think it's safe to say that they will both be progressing out of that group. But Group D, we saw Leon beating Bayern Munich one week, Bayern getting the win the week after. Um, it was quite entertaining. And what do you think of Bayern's chances in this competition? Because obviously, you know, the best in Germany. Um, they've kind of held their own against Leon. You, you could argue in, you know, in one of the games, getting the win. So what do you make of them? Yeah, I think they've got a, a really good chance, to be fair. A really good chance. I'm just looking at the stats when they played Leon. The boss them in possession, shots, amount of passes. So I, I think they did more than held their own against a Leon team who, let's be honest, are one of the best teams around and have been for a good number of years now. So I think they've got as, as good a chance as anyone, really. Maybe, maybe Barcelona have probably got a better chance than them. But apart from that, I, I can't see any team, even Barcelona, wanting to face Bayern Munich at the minute. Yeah, I mean, they are a good team. And like you say, um, you know, getting that 1-0 win over Leon. some people might look at it and be like, oh, well, it's just a 1-0 win. But being able to kind of you know, grind out a game like that and wear Leon down and get that um, goal. I think it was around like the 69th, 70th minute or something like that. You know, that takes a lot, um, you know, with a team like Leon. And those are the kind of games that, you know, are important and those kind of results that you definitely look at and think, you know, that is potentially a team that could be, you know, winning the Champions League because they have that ability to grind out those kinds of results. So I think I'm really intrigued to see, um, you know, with Bayern um, getting into the next round and and what they bring to the table 100%. Um, but yeah, again, you know, more brilliant Champions League performances. Um, it's safe to say that I am definitely enjoying the Women's Champions League more than the men's because I do not have a horse in the race. <laughs> um, so 100%. Um now, finally, just to finish things off, this week, FIFA have announced the nominees for the best award. I feel like they could have come up with a better title than the best. It's really annoys me, if I'm being honest. Um, but I thought that we could take a look at who has been nominated. So, the best women's player, we've got the usual suspects. Alexia Poteas, Vivian Miedema, Sam Kerr, Jenny Hermoso, Panila Harder. Caroline Graham Hansen alongside um, Stina Blackstinus, if I've said her name correctly, Aitana Bonmati, Lucy Bronze, Magdalena Eriksson, Ji Soyun, Christine Sinclair, Ellen White. I'll come to you first, Alejandro. I think I can guess, but which three players do you think will be the finalists? I know one name that's going to be in there. <laughs> one name you know, and it's and it's the one. If it if if there is a bit of fair. Fairness and justice, it should be Alexia Butellas, but also the other two finalists, for, from my point of view, I'll say Jenny Hermoso. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one, I'm I'm between Sam Kerr and Caroline Graham Kamsen. I will say Sam Kerr to have more variety on the on, on the teams. Yeah. But, uh, the winners, you, you know which ones. <laughs> I know that if Alexia does not win this, there will be a riot from Alejandro. He will not be happy. Um, what about you, Aaron? Who would be your three and who would be your winner? To be fair, I'd be quite similar. I've got 
I have uh, Gutierrez in there, uh, Caroline Graham Hansen, and probably Jenny Himoso. But if I had to pick someone else, it'd probably be Sam Kerr as well. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the list was quite surprisingly fair with some of the players on there, but yeah, I, I, it's got to be Gutierrez to win it, though. It's no one's even come close to what she's done in the last 12 months. Exactly. Were there any names that you guys were surprised was on there, or any names that you thought were missing, perhaps, or anything? I was surprised mm. Ellen White was on there. I don't think she's had a a great 12 months compared to mm. previous years. And I thought uh, uh, Liga Martins uh, might have made it on there as well. Yeah. For me, the list is okay, really. The list is very complicated because mm, you will need to take out other players and mm, and I don't know. All, all of the players, they have the merits to be uh, to be in the, on the list. So yeah. it's very complicated. <laughs> and in that side, I, I will say I, I agree with FIFA. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. But I've... I I think looking at the the women's super league, yeah, Ellen White. I'll be honest, I didn't know if I was just being a petty Man United fan when I saw her name, but I was I was a little bit mm, okay, but um, but yeah, all not to detract from her talent whatsoever, all deserving to be there. Um, and I I think we all know who the winner will be. I think we'll all be kicking off otherwise. Um. Now we have the best women's coach award. Of course, Emma Hayes is in there. Um, Peter Gahardson, uh, Luz Cortez, Beverly Priestman, and Serena Weigman all nominated. Um, Aaron, I'll come to you first. Who do you see winning the award? I think much like the the women's best player, it's going to be another Barcelona. It's Luis Cortez. I think the season Barcelona had was just domination. Is probably how you could best put it domestically and in Europe. So I, yeah, I think he's got to win it. How about you, Alejandro? Same, really, same. It's Luis Cortez. He has done maybe the best season in, in, in the last year and he has led maybe one of the best t- women's football teams in history. So, so yeah. really, I would say Luis Cortez, even, even though he's going, to see, he's going to be coaching Ukraine now and it's, you know, and it's going to feel a little bit strange because, really, I think uh, Luis Cortez has, has level to coach and even I was commenting that uh, with uh, with uh, after 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 season ended, I was thinking that even Luis Cortez he will be the perfect replacement for Ronald Koeman in Barcelona in the men's team. Really, yeah. The replacement was at home. Mm. Uh, they ha- it's a it's a coach that knows knows uh, the how tos and the dos and don'ts of of the house of Bar- of FC Barcelona. He knows the style. He has developed a, a, a team. Uh, based on patience, talent, and the way how to how to play the ball, really, I think that if Barcelona had uh, trust on him and they have they they took a decision, uh, they would they wouldn't be leaving a crazy season as a men's Barcelona as a crazy season as they live now because really, Luis Cortes, we are talking about a coach that he knows a lot about football. You know what, that's a really interesting point and I hadn't thought about it until you just said that because at first I was thinking, 100% I think he should win it as well. It'll be kind of awkward because obviously he doesn't coach them anymore. So he's like, oh, thanks for this award for something that I did and then I left and, you know, and I found it very strange that he was announced as the head coach of the National Women's Team of Ukraine. I thought we would have seen him still in, um, you know, in, in the domestic leagues, but... You make a good point because Barcelona have brought in Xavi and technically Cortes has got more experience when it comes to the domestic leagues and when it comes to Barcelona because he has been coaching in Barcelona since what, like 2017 yeah, was it or was, something? He's he been there a, a while. Video, he was a video analyst for for Barcelona women's and, and also he knows how how the courses are, are done in the academy so that's I think that's, he has that's, a lot of experience when it comes like to Barcelona. yeah like the house of Barcelona he understands it and and you know if Barcelona men's team are looking for some inspiration and some success look at your women's team because yeah they are absolutely unstoppable and that would have been a really nice um moment had we have seen that unfortunately because of the way of the world 
we probably weren't going to see it. But I think that's a really good point. What do you reckon about that, Aaron? I find that quite interesting. Yeah, I think it would have been great because you think all the hassle and money they've had to pay to get Xavi in. and Who essentially has not, you know, been coaching in the Champions League, has not won a Champions League trophy, technically doesn't actually have any experience within these leagues that and cups that they're playing in, apart from as a player, obviously. It's like loads of clubs do it now. You look at Frank Lampard, he essentially failed. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Promoted. (laughs) Solskjaer's managed. It failed at Cardiff. And so it, it doesn't really make sense, but owners just seem obsessed with handing former players roles that they're completely out of their depth for them. But yeah, I think that would have been a really good appointment and save Barcelona money when they really need to. Yeah, that is, you know what? That has absolutely blown my mind. I'm going to be thinking about that all day now. That's <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's a bit, I'm going to have to like message all my and, friends and, and discuss also, this. And also think that, for example, also Juice uh, Cortez, uh, if you say, he has coached a team done with players from the academy. Also, yeah, maybe uh, it will be so. It will have been so so nice to see, for example, all these uh, Gabi, Nico, all these talents. Maybe she has, she knows how to deal with the players from the academy. She has dealt with Alexia, with Aitana Bomati, with Mariona Candelte. So really, I would I would like to really, I would like I would have liked to see him coaching Barça men and see what what he was able to do with the young talents of La Masia. Yeah, that would have been that would have been great. Yeah, that's that's really got me thinking. Um, but the uh, the the final question, um, the best women's goalkeeper we have got: Anne Catherine Berger, Christian Endler, Stephanie Lab, Hedvig Lindahl, and Alyssa Nair. Which one do you guys see winning the award? Um, Alejandro, we'll start with you. That's a bit complicated because I'm missing the best goalkeeper in the moment, I think uh, it's not Sandra Paños, but of this uh, of this of this list, I will say Tiane Ler. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. What about um what about you, Aaron? Um I'm gonna go with uh Anne Catherine Berger. I think she's saved Chelsea numerous times on the way to the Champions League yeah. final and in the WSL. I thought you the way she commands that box and defence, it's it's really good to see. She's not just a great shot stopper, she's a great leader on the pitch as well. So yeah, it would be good to see her win it, I think. Yeah, I think um and I think Emma Hayes has spoken about it, you know, before and given her so much praise. She's such an integral part of that team. Um and they would have come unstuck a few times, I think, had it not been for her. So um so yeah, both very uh, very good candidates to win. But yes, all very exciting. Um, little bit frustrating that I read that um, the women will not be at the Ballon d'Or because of international duty. I think mm-hmm. um, very frustrating. Uh, again, something I could moan about, but I won't. Um, but I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll be back with the podcast next week to chat a little bit more about obviously it is international duty um, and see how the nations are all doing. But yeah, thank you to you both for joining. So that is it for today's Women's Football Podcast. A big thank you to my guests, Alejandro and to Aaron for joining me and of course to all of you for listening if you do want to get in touch it is podcast at onefootball.com and make sure that you head to the likes of Spotify Apple Music etc to hear more from One Football. 